Location was Louisville, Kentucky in late July, the 2023 General Assembly of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. It was the first in-person assembly since COVID, the first time our Disciples Family of Faith had gathered together in person in over four years. The whole event had the feel of a joyful family reunion. And yet there were moments that challenged me, that made me think and feel more deeply than I had expected. And one of those was during worship on Monday night. General Assembly is known for outstanding preachers. Reverend Fred Craddock, Reverend Dr. William Barber, Reverend Joey Jeter, Reverend Terry Horde Owens, Reverend Sharon Watkins. And on this Monday night, the preaching took a slightly different shape. Reverend Dr. David Anderson Hooker, a minister and expert in the, in the role of narrative in community building, convened a panel of diverse representatives of the church. And together, they taught us a word that you heard from Joey, Dianu, meaning it would have been enough. Through interwoven stories from their lives and the lives of others they knew, they showed us times when God did so much more than we could ever expect or hope. Diane knew, if God had done just one thing, it would have been enough. And yet God gave us all of these things, and we are so grateful. Diane knew, the word stuck with me. And as I was researching the story of God's instructions for the Passover that Annie just read for us, I came across it again. As Joey told us, Dayenu is a traditional Passover song over a thousand years old that's still sung during Passover Seder celebrations today. The song has 15 stanzas, all of them focused on being grateful to God for all the gifts God gave to the Jewish people, taking them out of slavery, splitting the sea, leading them across on dry land, providing for them for 40 years in the wilderness, providing manna to eat, and so much more. If God had only done one of those things, it would have been enough. And yet God did so much more to bless and care for the Jewish people. Diane knew. The scripture we read this morning is different from the stories I've been sharing in recent sermons. It appears in the middle of a dramatic section of the book of Exodus, and yet it's very different from the text that surrounds it. Moses had been living in the land of Midian, caring for the flock of his father-in-law, when God appeared to him in a bush that was burning but not consumed by flame. God sent Moses and his brother Aaron to Pharaoh to bring the Israelites out of slavery and out of Egypt. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he refused to let the Israelites go. So God sent plagues to convince Pharaoh, turning all of the rivers and ponds to blood, swarms of frogs and gnats and flies and locusts, deadly diseases that killed all the livestock, festering boils on humans and animals, hail that destroyed all the crops and all the crops and then darkness. And yet, after seeing so much destruction in Egypt, Pharaoh still would not release the Israelites. So God warned that a final plague was coming, the killing of all firstborn children of humans and animals in the land. But Pharaoh didn't believe it. 
How's that for a quick summary of nine chapters of Exodus? It's in the middle of this grim story of death and destruction in Egypt, when God has warned of more death to come, that this morning's scripture passage appears. Before the slaughter of the firstborns, God gives Moses and Aaron specific instructions for the whole congregation of Israel. They are to choose a one-year-old male lamb for each family and assemble together as a congregation to slaughter the lambs together. Each family will prepare the lamb by roasting it whole and will smear some of the lamb's blood on the doorposts and the lintel of the house where they eat it as a sign to God to protect those houses and spare the people inside. They should eat this meal quickly, dressed in travel clothes, shoes on, staff in hand, ready to go when God passes through with this final plague. And there are two other key instructions in this passage. This day of Passover shall be celebrated as a festival of the Lord, not only among those living at the time of Moses, but also throughout all future generations. And so the Passover came to be, the same Passover that our Jewish siblings celebrate each spring. Jewish families and friends come together, usually in homes, to retell the story of how God sent plagues to Egypt so that Pharaoh would, would release the Israelite prisoners into freedom. They eat foods with symbolic meaning, unleavened bread because the Israelites had to be ready to move quickly and did not have time for leavened bread to rise, bitter herbs to represent the bitterness of slavery, salt water to remind them of the tears of the slaves, a mixture of apples and nuts to remember the mortar the slaves used to build buildings for the Egyptians, and greens and an egg as reminders of spring and new life. And they recline among pillows while they're eating as a celebration of being free. The Passover Seder is a joyful celebration with delicious food, although nothing with flour or yeast, and many, many glasses of wine. I've been honored to have been invited to two different Passover seders. One was led by some Jewish friends of mine and included a range of people from different backgrounds, Jews, Christians, Muslims, several people with no real faith background. But it's the second one that I remember best. In the mid-1990s, when I was in graduate school, the biggest synagogue in Minneapolis sponsored an interfaith seder a few weeks before, pa before Passover for all of the Christian churches in the downtown area. It was a huge event. More than 300 people were in attendance, including about 100 Jews from the synagogue and 200 guests from various Christian churches in the area. Through pure luck, I was one of the ones seated at the table with the rabbi leading the service, so I got a real up-close look at the Passover Seder. And it was a powerful experience. The whole service is designed so that everyone is included, even the youngest child of speaking age, who asks four key questions that explain the rituals of the Passover celebration. And a sense of gratitude infuses the entire celebration, from prayers and rituals to feasting and drinking and singing songs. The whole theme of the Passover Seder is that God has been so good to the Jewish people it would have been enough if God had done one thing, and yet God has given them so much more. Dianu.
Christians have heard the story of Exodus. We sing about it when we sing Pharaoh, Pharaoh at church camp. Most of us recognize that our Jewish neighbors celebrate Passover and, it's an, and that it's an important religious celebration for them. The elements of the celebration itself may feel remote and unfamiliar, and yet Christians have a deep and important connection to Passover. At a basic level, the history of the Jewish people is also part of our history as Christians. Jesus of Nazareth grew up in the Christian faith. He visited the temple in Jerusalem with his family when he was a boy, and he visited and taught there as an adult. He and his followers were gathered to celebrate a Passover Seder in the upper room when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper just before his arrest. Because we are followers of Jesus, who was Jewish, this important Jewish festival is part of our heritage. But the Passover story also has deeper symbolic meanings. One important part of the Passover is the instruction for all Jewish households to mark their doorposts and lentils with the blood of the lamb. The marking of the doorposts provided safety for the Jews from the midnight violence that struck their neighbors. And Christians, like Jews, are children of the marked doorposts, reminded that God, our protector, provides for our safety in the midst of a world under threat. Of course, God's protection doesn't keep us from every challenge or every harm. Even the most blessed individuals must deal with stress, trauma, and even tragedy from time to time. Yet knowing that we are beloved children of God, descendants of the children whom God loved so much that he protected them during the one of the worst tragedies that Egypt ever saw, can give us the courage to cope and move forward in the face of trauma. That doesn't mean coping will be easy. As poet Annie Johnson Flint reminds us, God has not promised us skies always blue, flower-strewn pathways are all, all our lives through. God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God has promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. The other key symbol of Passover is the unleavened bread, eaten, eaten while dressed and ready to travel. Eating quickly and eating unleavened bread that did not need extra time to rise before baking enabled the Jews, Jews to be ready to depart immediately. And Christians, like Jews, are children of the hurried bread, challenged to be ready to act quickly. The work of God is urgent and important. We're not called to just sit around and enjoy what we have. We're called to move quickly into unfamiliar places where God's grace is most needed. God challenges us to pay attention, to find those who are oppressed or marginalized, and to take bold and courageous steps to help them. We may not all feel ready. We may not feel like we're the right ones. And we may not think now is the right time. But we know deeply and completely that people who are hungry or thirsty or temporarily unhoused or struggling with mental health challenges are beloved children of God. And God calls us to help them. So if not now, when? And if not us, 
who? The good news is that God gives us everything we need to care for the world around us, and so much more than we could ever expect. God's grace is abundant. Dainu, it would have been enough. Throughout my time in ministry, I've experienced Dainu over and over. It would have been enough if I had lived in Minneapolis, directing children's and family ministries at First Christian Church. Dainu. And yet God guided me along an unusual and unexpected path to a university job in Georgia. It would have been enough for me to work full-time at UGA, attend a church where I felt welcomed and connected, and be involved in community outreach. Dianu. And yet God connected me with a minister who's still a close friend, a minister who first named what I was doing as ministry and encouraged me to explore commissioning and eventually ordination. It would have been enough to be a campus minister of a small group in Athens, Dianu. And yet last spring, God connected me with two other campus ministers, a Presbyterian and one from the United Church of Christ. And we are exploring this fall a united model of campus ministry, where ministers from three denominations work together to support students from all of our traditions, and so on. Where have you experienced Dianu in your faith journey? Can you think of times when it would have been enough for God to do one small thing in your life, and yet God did so much more than you ever could have imagined? Let us give thanks for the overflowing grace of God, a grace that goes beyond all of our expectations, a grace that the people of God have experienced over and over from the time of Moses through today. Dianu.